from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Hey guys, it's Lauren Nyrider. In season two of False Confessions, we brought you the stunning story of Tommy Ward. And unfortunately, I have some sad news to share about his case. In January 2021, a district judge at the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals gave us the news we were all hoping for and vacated Tommy's conviction. But he waited in prison still while the state appealed that decision. Sadly, justice hasn't yet been served. This innocent man is still in prison. The state won their appeal, reinstating Tommy's conviction in 2022. And as of this update, Tommy and his legal team are preparing to file again with the federal courts. Tommy, we're all hoping that the courts get it right this time and grant you the freedom you deserve. Keep fighting and stay strong. Welcome to Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions. I'm Laura Nyrider. And I'm Steve Drizzen. In 1984, a woman from Ada, Oklahoma, went missing. A few months later, a man named Tommy Ward told police that he'd had a bad dream about her murder. Incredibly, the police took that dream and turned it into a false confession. Tommy Ward's story has fascinated the world. In 2006, the author, John Grisham, wrote a book about Tommy and his co-defendant, Carl Fontenot. John's career as a writer was changed by Tommy and Carl's case, but he's not the only one who's been moved by it. A few years ago, their story was made into a Netflix global series called The Innocent Man. Now, the whole world has been moved too. It's our honor to be part of the fight to exonerate Tommy Ward and Carl Fontenot. Here's hoping we can deliver a wake-up call in this nightmare of a case. I'm John Grisham, author of a number of legal thrillers and one work of nonfiction. About 15 years ago, I found myself in Ada, Oklahoma, doing the research for a nonfiction book that was eventually titled The Innocent Man. 
it's just a truly fascinating case because there were no clues, there were no witnesses, there was no body, there was no corpse, there was no murder weapon, there was nothing. But Tommy Ward confessed to the crime. And uh, from that moment on, he was a guilty man. The judge allowed this case to go forward without a body. Even on my most creative days, I'm not sure I could create stuff like this. Once I started researching Tommy's case, Carl's case, I realized that there are thousands of innocent people in prison. And I'd never realized that before. At that point, I moved away, for the most part, from suspense, intrigue, thrillers, to something still similar, but much more issue-driven. Capital punishment, wrongful conviction, mass incarceration, the issues I care about in the criminal justice system and the injustices that we tolerate when we could fix this stuff if we had the will to do it. So the Tommy Ward, Carl Fontenot case had a profound impact on me as a writer. You know, Steve, John Grisham's right. In this case, the truth really is stranger than fiction. This is one of the most bizarre kinds of false confessions you can imagine. This case is fascinating because it is about a dream that is converted by police officers into a confession. Cases like this are extremely rare. Right. I mean, how many dream cases do you know about? I've studied hundreds of false confessions, and maybe there's a dozen of them. To our listeners, if you haven't heard this story, get ready. It's an incredible one. If you have read John Grisham's book or seen the Netflix series, we have some new developments to share with you. Because attorneys at the Center on Wrongful Convictions, the organization you and I co-direct, have uncovered new information that makes it clear that Tommy Ward is innocent. But he's still in prison. He's been there for 35 years. He needs to come home now. Right now. Tommy's story starts in the town of Ada, a rural Oklahoma community of about 17,000 people. It's a Bible Belt town where the churches are full, but the factories are empty. In Ada, poverty can sometimes make justice seem like a faraway dream. In 1984, Denise Haraway was one of Ada's 17,000 people. Denise was 24 years old, a petite blonde woman who'd recently gotten married. She was enrolled in college and helped pay tuition by working the evening shift by herself at McAnally's convenience store. But when customers walked into McAnally's at 8.50 p.m. on April 28th, they found an open cash register and no attendant in sight. Denise had vanished. There'd be no sign of her for a year and a half. Ada police started investigating Denise's disappearance, and right away, they suspected foul play. A customer who'd been at McAnally's earlier that evening told police he'd seen Denise leave the store with a strange man who drove her away in a pickup truck. Police also spoke to a female clerk at a different nearby convenience store. She reported that a few hours before Denise disappeared, two men came into her store. They were rowdy, she said, and kept buying alcohol. They made her nervous. She gave the cops some rough descriptions, and a police artist made two composite sketches. In terms of evidence, that was it. No one knew what happened to Denise. There was no body, no sightings, no nothing. Police showed the composite sketches on TV and asked for the public's help. Dozens of tips were phoned in. A few callers thought that the sketches looked a little bit like a 24-year-old Ada man named Tommy Ward. Now, the Ward family was poor. 
They lived on Ada's south side, in the part of town that everyone knew was on the wrong side of the tracks. Growing up, there were eight kids in the house. Tommy was number seven. Everyone, children included, was expected to pitch in to keep the lights on and the rent paid. The older kids would work. The younger kids would spend hot Oklahoma summers walking along the highway, searching for empty beer cans that they could turn in for a five-cent deposit. The Wards were a law-abiding family. When Tommy was a teenager, he'd been arrested a few times for petty crimes like public drunkenness, but nothing serious. The idea of him suddenly kidnapping Denise Haraway was pretty crazy. Despite this, police brought Tommy in for questioning just a few days after Denise's disappearance. Tommy told them he had nothing to do with Denise. In fact, he said, on the night she disappeared, he was at a keg party out of town, 25 miles away. Police released Tommy and tracked down some other partygoers. Several of them confirmed Tommy's alibi. But police also caught wind of a rumor that had been spreading around town. Tommy supposedly told others at the party that he'd done something terrible. That one word was apparently enough to make the cops think that Tommy had killed Denise. They bring Tommy back to the station months later, on October 18th, 1984, for what would become nine hours of interrogation. Who killed that girl? Did you kill her? You thought she was pretty, didn't you? The questions come fast and furious, but Tommy still denies having anything to do with Denise's disappearance. He reminds his interrogators of his alibi, but they administer a polygraph. They falsely tell Tommy that it proved he'd been lying. That's when the interrogation turns nightmarish. Tommy tells the cops that maybe he failed the polygraph because he was nervous. In fact, he says, knowing he was a suspect in this case had upset him so much that he had a bad dream. Tell us about your dream, the police say. And Tommy does. In the dream, Tommy was out by Ada's local power plant, sitting in a pickup truck with three people he didn't know, two men and a woman. One of the men tried to kiss the woman, and Tommy told him to back off. Then Tommy said he wanted to go home. You're already home, the man answered. Suddenly, Tommy was standing at his kitchen sink, trying to scrub a dark liquid off his hands. The cops pounce. Your dream, they say, matches the facts of the case. There's a pickup truck in your dream, and we believe Denise was kidnapped in a pickup truck. It doesn't make sense to say this was just a dream, they say. You know what does make sense? You and these other two men killing Denise. So where did the story in Tommy's dream come from? Turns out, a few days before this nine-hour interrogation, police had briefly talked to Tommy. And during that questioning, the police officers said to Tommy, use your imagination for just a moment. This girl was taken out of a grocery store at night. Two guys come in and got her, and they got in a pickup, and they drove her away. A beautiful girl like that. Maybe they raped her before they killed her. That is a direct quote from these detectives. The police officers had planted the core ideas of this crime in Tommy's mind, including the pickup truck, which, remember, is a detail that a witness had already told them about. And Tommy began to have nightmares about the story the police told him. The interrogation continues for hours. Police tell Tommy he'll get the death penalty if he doesn't confess to killing Denise. Eventually, 
Tommy caves. He starts changing his dream to include what the police tell him. In his dream, he says, he did recognize the other guys. They were two Ada men named Carl Fontenot and Odell Titsworth. He dreamed that they'd robbed McAnally's together, that they'd kidnapped Denise and raped her in a pickup truck. They stabbed her in the dream, too, he says, and left her body in a culvert by the power plant. After nine hours of this, police bring in a video camera. According to Tommy, they say, time to cut the dream bullshit. This wasn't something you dreamed. It was something you did. Tommy, how far do you live from the power plant where Denise Airbus was killed? I live about... Oh, it's like about two blocks. Why did you go to the power plant? It's worth battling and pulled over. Tommy finds himself repeating the whole story on camera, not as a dream, but as cold, hard reality. Who was the first person in the store? Did he have any kind of weapon? Yes, he had a knife. He told me that he was going to kill her. That's where we got out to the power plant. you understand how serious this investigation is? Yes, I do. Incredibly, the police have transformed Tommy's dream into a murder confession. Let's talk a little bit about dream statements. You know, there comes a point in every interrogation where the police officers have tried to get the suspect to confess. And the suspect just says, well, I have no memory of committing this crime, or I can't help you, I wasn't there. And then either the police officers suggest to the suspect Have you had any dreams about this case? Or the suspect will suggest on his own accord, you know, I have had some dreams about this. And what that does is it gives police officers something to exploit. It allows the conversation to continue. And the police officers end up converting what was a dream into a confession. During Tommy's videotaped statement, the only lingering reference to any of this being a dream comes at the very end. Is there anything else you want to add? Police ask him. I thought it was just a dream, Tommy quietly says. He always thought that the police officers would recognize, this is not reality. Go out, investigate the case, and you're going to find out that this is all a bunch of horseshit. Based on his so-called confession, Tommy Ward found himself in jail, charged with capital murder. And the investigation that's to come? Well, horseshit is exactly the right word. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I was stationed on an aircraft carrier when my sister called and started telling me that they'd got Tommy for this. It was not a good day. That's Melvin Ward, one of Tommy's older brothers. He was in the service when he found out that Tommy had been arrested, and he flew back to Ada right away. I did not believe it. I thought, well, you know, he's going to get off on this because I know he didn't do it. It's not Tommy's character to do something like this. He was not a bad kid. He never hurt anybody. He stayed out of trouble other than a few public drunks. Tommy would have been the kind of person that if somebody was attacking this lady, he would have been there to protect her. That's Tommy. Tommy did nothing for them to go after him like they did other than we living on the other side's track. We was not in the proper society at the time. They believed that Tommy was guilty and they was going to pull no stops to get him to confess. And that's not proper police work at all. Tommy wasn't the only person from the wrong side of the tracks who got ensnared in this case. Within hours, police arrest Tommy's dream accomplices, Carl Fontenot and Odell Titsworth, and question them both. Carl was 20 years old, a friend of Tommy's who was seriously intellectually disabled and pretty much alone in the world. Carl was a nice guy. I, I know my mom liked him. And my mom, bless her heart, she was a good judge of character. At the time, she was working at one of the convenience stores down there in Ada, and the kid would come in, and he didn't have much of a family. She would give him a sandwich from uh, the store every now and then, and I think Tommy met Carl by, he was sleeping on my sister's front porch. Tommy kind of took Carl under his wing, and uh, they become friends. To understand how Carl's interrogation went down, you need to know that a few months earlier, Carl had witnessed his own mother's death. The two of them had been driving on the highway when their car broke down. Carl's mom got out and headed for a nearby restaurant to call for help. But as she was crossing the highway, she was hit and killed by another car. Carl felt terrible guilt. He blamed himself for not being the one who'd gone for help. It was that sense of guilt, along with his disability, that police used to manipulate Carl during his interrogation. The police suggested that Carl should make amends for his mom's death by saying he was involved in Denise's death. Can you imagine the trauma he must have been experiencing? I mean, he saw his mother die. The police officers used that prior traumatic event to help break down Carl into accepting responsibility for Denise's death. And he caved much sooner than Tommy did. Just like with Tommy, police took a videotaped statement from Carl. In it, he agreed that he helped Odell Titsworth and Tommy Ward rape and stab Denise. Carl, let me ask you this. At any point in time, did you stab her? No, I did not. Nor did Tommy. Odell done all the stabbing right there. Did y'all try to stop him from stabbing her? No. 
Carl even said they'd burned her body afterwards. Who spread the gas? Odell. He poured all the gas on her and everything. And we threw the match on her and walked out. And then the house just burned up on the inside. Based on this confession, Carl Fontenot was charged with Denise's death right alongside Tommy. Knowing that Tommy was innocent, that made me know that Carl was innocent. Tommy, it took him almost nine hours to break him down. And uh, Carl, he was a little bit more acceptable to their interrogation. I think an hour and 45 minutes. But the supposed third guy, Odell Titsworth, well, he's another story. Odell was a four-time convicted felon with experience in the interrogation room. When police question him about Denise, he doesn't budge an inch. I don't care what Ward and Fontenot say, he insists. I had nothing to do with Denise's disappearance. Now, Odell is thrown in jail anyway, but pretty soon it becomes clear that he's got a great alibi. Two days before Denise's disappearance, Odell had an altercation with the police, and they'd broken his arm badly. On the night Denise disappeared, Odell Titsworth was laid up with a spiral fracture. Struggle with a grown woman? Hold her down and rape her? Stab her? It was physically impossible. Odell was cleared. This is one point I've always tried to wrap around people's head. If they were not being fed information, how did both of them boys come up with a totally innocent man's name. It can't happen. See what I'm saying? While Odell Titsworth got to go home, Tommy and Carl weren't so lucky. Prosecutors pressed forward with cases against Tommy and Carl, even though their confessions turned out to be wildly different. The confessions didn't agree on who raped Denise, where she was stabbed, or when she died. And when it came to the big question, where was Denise? The confessions disagreed there, too. Remember, Tommy said they'd left her body in a culvert near the power plant. But Carl said they'd burned Denise's body in an abandoned house. And then they burned the house down, too. The authorities checked out both stories. But they found no sign of Denise in either the culvert or the abandoned house. In fact, Carl's abandoned house actually burned down 10 months before Denise disappeared. Their confessions just didn't match reality. In a last-ditch effort to get Carl to clean up his story, police try something pretty outrageous. So Carl is sitting in jail. He's just confessed to this crime. And the police officers go to a local university and gather a bunch of bones. From the science lab, human bones. And they bring this bag of bones into the jail and they say, we found Denise Haraway's skull where you said it was, but we can't find the rest of her body. And Carl can't answer the question. He says, I wish I could help, but I don't know where her body is. Carl's terrified. He can't tell him a thing. I mean, what the fuck is this? I've never seen this before, Laura. This is just beyond the pale. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Carl and Tommy were tried together on September 24, 1985. At trial, prosecutors called a McAnally's customer named James Moyer. Moyer testified that he'd seen someone who looked like Tommy Ward in the store an hour before Denise disappeared. That's pretty thin evidence, but the prosecutors had more. As the centerpiece of the trial, they played Tommy and Carl's confession tapes for the jury. Prosecutors conceded that, sure, Tommy and Carl got a lot of things wrong. Sure, their confessions were false when it came to Odell's involvement. And sure, the facts that they seemed to get right, like the pickup truck, had been fed to them by their interrogators. But set all that aside, prosecutors said. We've got proof, they said, that Tommy and Carl's confessions are reliable, a real ace in the hole. So what was that proof? Prosecutors argued that Tommy and Carl's confessions could be trusted because they both accurately described what Denise was wearing the night she disappeared. During Tommy's confession, he said Denise was wearing a button-up blouse with little blue roses on it and lace on the collar and sleeves. Similarly, Carl had said she was wearing a button-up blouse with ruffles on the collar and elastic on the sleeves. Now, prosecutors said at the time of the confessions, the police had no idea what Denise had been wearing, so the interrogators couldn't have fed details about the blouse to Tommy and Carl. The only explanation for Tommy and Carl's matching stories was that they had both actually been with Denise that night. To really clinch the case, Denise's sister took the stand and revealed that Denise did own a blouse with blue flowers and a lacy ruffled collar. Also, after Denise disappeared, the sister reported that that blouse was missing from Denise's closet. Denise's sister said she hadn't told police about the missing blouse until after Tommy and Carl confessed. Going into trial, the police and prosecutors have two confessions that are at odds with the objectively knowable facts of the crime. There's no corroboration of this confession, and it's filled with errors. But the police have one fact that is the anchor of their case. The defense counsel had no explanation for why both Tommy and Carl independently had described Denise's missing blouse the same way. That anchor ended up taking both Tommy and Carl down. On day 13 of the trial, the jury returned a verdict. Both men were guilty of murdering Denise Haraway. 
Shortly afterwards, the judge sentenced Tommy Ward and Carl Fontenot to death. The district attorney got a conviction on these boys because of the description of the shirt that supposedly no one knew at the time of their confessions. I knew that Tommy and Carl was innocent. But having Tommy and Carl both to say something about that shirt, that was a pretty hard thing to get past. These men were sentenced to death on the basis of a single fact, a description of a blouse. Tommy and Carl were able to lead police to evidence that they didn't already have. I mean, these are the kinds of facts that you and I look at when we assess the reliability of a confession, Laura. And if police don't know information and the suspect leads them to it, that's a red flag for a reliable confession. How could Tommy and Carl have been wrong about so many facts, yet right about this fact? Despite it all, could they possibly be guilty? It sure looked that way, at least at first. Decades would pass before we found out the truth. There's so much more to this case, more than we can tell you today. So join us next week as we close our second season. We'll bring you part two of the story of Tommy Ward and Carl Fontenot. Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. Special thanks to our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wardis. Our production team is headed by senior producer Ann Pope, along with producers Joshi Hammer and Jess Shane. Our show is mixed by Jeannie Montalvo. John Colbert is our intrepid intern. Our music was composed by Jay Ralph. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Laura Nyrider. And you can follow me on Twitter at S. Drizzen. For more information on the show, visit wrongfulconvictionpodcast.com. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at wrongfulconviction, on Facebook at wrongfulconvictionpodcast, and on Twitter at wrongconviction. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your 
your perfect home sweet home.